0: This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, the show that talks all things outdoors in Paul Bunyan Country, or as we like to call it, paradise. I'm Kev Jackson. Welcome to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Later on in the show, Beef Sather is going to talk about all things Lake of the Woods and Rainy River, including the upcoming dinosaur fishing season. You'll have to stick around to find out what we're talking about. Up first, though, we're going to talk a little hunting. Turkey season's coming, and we've got John Williams, the regional wildlife manager out of the Northwest office in Bemidji. Hey, John, thanks for joining the show today. Uh, Thanks for having me, Kevin. Well, there's always something going on in your world. Uh, The next one uh, that's a biggie and really actually is becoming a biggie here in the Northwoods, and that's the upcoming turkey season. Uh, John, we've just seen not only the populations of turkey, but the popularity of turkey hunting just explode here in the North Country.
1: It really has, and especially this past year um, with all the COVID restrictions that was on, we saw a big increase in turkey hunting and and, uh, license sales and just people getting out to enjoy uh, some outdoors, I think, after being cooped up in the house uh, for quite a while, too. But, uh, yeah, turkey hunting has really... I would say advanced and changed over the last 20 years in uh, several ways. So uh, good thing for people to put on their, their to-do list if they're thinking about turkey hunting to uh, check their gear and, and seasons, what they're looking to hunt and where they want to hunt too. So,
0: Let's talk a little bit about uh, how this has developed. Has Was this a, uh, a natural progression northwards from turkeys, or was did we bring turkeys in and, and say, let's find out how they make it up here?
1: Well, I would say a little of both, okay. um, but maybe maybe not so much in areas what you think. The natural progression, I think, started after we turned two turkeys loose in the uh, Deep River Falls area, and now they're up in Canada already. Now we didn't wow. turn turkeys loose that far north, so. Um, but to, to kind of recap, you know, for for the longest time, it was thought that with our normal winter snow cover, that turkeys wouldn't be able to survive. Where the snow depth average during the wintertime at least 14 inches it was thought they couldn't dig down and gather uh seeds and fruits and stuff like that that they may find you know buried in the snow like that well that's just turned out not to be the case turkeys even from the 60s 1960s on throughout the united states they have just completely rewritten the book as far as as what uh, the habitat conditions were thought to ha- have as a minimum I recall when I worked in Indiana, the thought was, well, you know, you're know, you going to have to have at least 10,000 acres of wooded habitat to have a turkey uh, population. And that surely didn't turn out to be the case because we had turkeys just about everywhere in the state where you could release them, whether it was wooded or not. Minnesota is uh, starting to get like that. In fact, the only places where we have, let's say, less turkeys is probably in that Arrowhead region, you know, North Highway 2 and out towards the uh, uh, Boundary Waters and stuff like that. But even there, you know, we're still seeing turkeys sometimes along the North Shore. So just an amazing bird that has really been able to adapt, I think, to changing habitat, changing conditions, and perhaps even changing climate. Um, in terms of what we did, once we began to see turkeys to be a little bit more uh, adaptable and stuff like that, we did start releasing birds north of what that 14-inch snow line was. And my recollection about that line, you could probably think it's somewhere around let's say, the uh, Fargo-Moorhead area and uh, kind of an east-west line kind of slanting a little bit down uh, to the southeast at that point. So uh, turkeys were well-established up to that point like that. And then in the Thief River Falls area in particular, the one I'm most familiar with is we had a bunch of people that were really interested in seeing if we could get turkeys that far north. And as we were thinking about this, and it actually got the – some of the legislatures interested in seeing about that as well. So we talked about that during probably 2005 pretty seriously. We didn't know if that was going to be something that was a good thing to to consider or not. Anyhow, it was finally decided we would go with that. And there were two specific areas that we were looking to turn turkeys loose at in the uh, Deep River Falls area. The first of them was the river system, so the Red Lake River, and uh, was one of the uh, one of the one ones the thief river falls area as it cuts through there would be very good travel corridor especially down through red lake county the other areas were the Beechridge areas of the uh, agassiz beetridges in the far northwest and of course they stretched you know, quite quite a bit uh, through that area uh, even all the way up to thief lake and, and thereabouts so we turned turkeys loose there and that was in 2006. And we had some other subsequent releases, I believe, in the Bagley area about 2007. And it didn't take very long for those turkeys to show that they were going to make it just fine up there. And, um, you know, I would say that as populations expanded and people began to see them, the thought was, well, maybe we could have a season on them. And I believe, I'm trying to think when the first season was, or that was like 2010 or somewhere in that range. But anyhow, we did have a season up there and a few people took advantage of it. And... Every year since that time, it has grown both in the number of birds, where they're at, how many there are, and the number of people that are hunting them. And it's really been sort of a surprise, and it's also been a uh, uh, another recreation that uh, just wouldn't have thought we'd have had this far north. And you, you look basically at the state. The entire state now is open for turkey hunting, and the uh, options that you can buy for licenses Give you uh, six time periods in which you can choose to hunt, starting April fourteenth for the first one. That's the A season, and the last one runs all the way into May thirty first. So it's a very long season, uh, a lot of opportunity. You can hunt with archery, muzzleloader, uh, fu- shotgun. That is, and uh, regular firearms, and um, whatever season that you're in. We used to have a number of zones in the state that you had to pick. Not only the the uh, Time frame, but you also had to pick the zone in which you wanted to hunt. Well, we've now dropped the zones. Other than when a person buys a license, they will need to express what zone they would normally hunt in, just like deer season. You know what deer, what deer permit do you normally hunt in? But you are not restricted to hunting in that permit. So you can hunt statewide with ever whatever, whatever license you have for the time frame that it is good for. And a couple other features archery, uh, you can basically hunt the uh, uh, the entire season and then, again, anywhere in the state and youth firearm youth season as well, uh, very similar to that. And one more thing, if you're one of those unlucky hunters that didn't get their uh, turkey in a firearms hunter in uh, A through E seasons, we also allow uh, the uh, unfilled tag uh, to go ahead and be uh, hunted in the F season as well. So just tremendous opportunity, I think. And as you said, Kevin, it's growing in popularity, and it just seems to uh, keep and get better and better every year.
0: Well, you say it starts through the 14th, runs through the 31st. But if I get a license, what, what's the uh, time frame? Do I have like two weeks, three weeks? I, what, what's the length of time I have to hunt? Sure. So we have
1: six seasons, and they start like in April. Uh, the seasons themselves run for uh, seven days. Okay. So of the seasons like April, the first one April 14th to the 20th, and the second ones 21st to 27th, and stuff like that. There used to be a drawing that you had to put in for it for that. Uh, that is not the case anymore. You can go in any of those seasons with over-the-counter tags. So just go up to your license agent, or go online, uh, or on the phone, and uh, get your license uh, set for that season. Once you have the license in your possession, you can use it immediately. Um, the only drawings we have this year were, were three areas which are major units, and that is Malax, Carlos Avery and Whitewater. You did have to put your name in the hat for the A and the B season in those, uh, in those two, three areas.
0: Okay. Now, um, for those who are green uh, in the uh, turkey hunting world but want to give it a try, anything special you need that that, you, that a normal hunter wouldn't have yet? um
1: you know probably trying to think through this um what would be most important i guess the first thing i would say is talk to somebody that's turkey hunted uh and and get some hints about how to do that like anything else you can start off and and uh, just learn learn um, the hard way you know Mm -hmm. go out and 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 just learn it by as you do it Uh, and that's a fun way to do it too. you it's a good time to be out but I would talk to people that have turkey hunted or he can give you some advice on maybe what you ought to do. The other thing would be you can go online at the uh, DNR website and they actually have a couple of videos that give you some instructions on how to turkey hunt and what you should be looking for. I would say that for most people, if something that you wouldn't normally have might be spring camouflage, if if that were the case. I would think fall archery probably would be pretty good for uh, that type of camouflage, but in the spring... Uh, depending especially on when you hunt. You know, sometimes in April, you can have snow on the ground, or you may have green up by then. And that influences very much what uh, type of camouflage you might want to be wearing. So I think a person needs to be a little bit nimble in in that regard. So um, that would be one of the things. The other thing I think you would want to do is uh, turkey hunting is, um, you know, for firearms, it's a shotgun sport. And usually what you want to look for is a shotgun that will throw a very tight pattern. And uh, the the tighter the pattern, the longer the range uh, that you may be able to take care. But if you get special chokes for your shotgun, a turkey choke or a long-range choke or something like that, I think it would be very wise for the hunter to go out and pattern uh, using a a turkey target, uh, which is just a printed uh, target with a a turkey head, you know, uh, of that size, and go back various, various distances, you know, whether you're 30 yards or 40 yards, whatever they might be, And look to see if your shotgun can perform like it should to be able to harvest a turkey like that. Some of the new turkey loads are very uh, interesting in in terms of their performance to the degree that now even a 410 is a a very good gun out to a a pretty long range if you're using uh, a special type of shotgun shell that uh, is designed for that type. And the obvious advantage of a 410 is you can bring uh, youth on that. And uh, many people are taking advantage of that. So those are the things I would think, Kevin, just if you're if you're starting off green, talk to somebody, get your camouflage right, test your gun with a pattern and everything else. Um, a little story that I can tell you. Um, I will, again, uh, when uh, I had my sons young, I wanted to take him back to Indiana just to uh, uh, have a little bit of heritage. This is where you came from, and, and we now live in Minnesota up at Thief Lake. And, and just want to give him a little bit of uh, uh, Knowledge about the woodlands and, and uh, the place where I grew up, so one of the things we did we took him down there during turkey season, and my son, my middle son, uh, had got all of his shotgun ready. he put in a new choke tube for it, and it was all ready to go and We had hunted this one turkey uh, about three days in a row, and we finally figured out you know basically how to pattern the turkey, and we knew where he would be coming back to roost at night and so we both got set up, and my son was in the prime position, and I was kind of in a backup position. And as that turkey walked in front of my son, he um, shot, and I watched that turkey fly away. <laughs> I, I I could hardly believe it, you know, because it was a good shot and everything else. But when we got back home, we had him pattern his gun, and his, his pattern was off a couple of feet.
0: And that, that cost him that turkey. Okay. Good thing to keep in mind, certainly. Um, is is it turkey license? I'm, I'm presuming a turkey license. I haven't done it either is more like a deer license? You get, you get one bird per license?
1: One bearded turkey is the, uh, is the limit in, in the type of turkey you may shoot. So you do have to have a visible beard on the turkey. Most tom turkeys are going to have a beard, uh, and a few of the hens actually have a beard. It's rare, but it, but it has happened. So the idea is you must see a beard to be able to harvest a bird.
0: What uh, makes turkey hunting such a delight to so many people?
1: Oh, I can think of many things. The first thing is basically a good time of year. Here you are in April and May, and you're all of a sudden out in the woods doing some things that maybe you wouldn't normally be doing. And, of course, as you're turkey hunting, there's all the wildflowers you can see, and that was always something I enjoyed, just to be able to name them, look at them. But you can mushroom hunt while you're out there, uh, so you could easily have a turkey and maybe some uh, mushrooms for uh, dinner sometime. Um, Just being able to see migration. the The birds that are flying through the the state at that time are outstanding. It's just a wonderful time to be out outside, and it's just a time that I think most people don't typically think about being outside unless they're actually turkey hunting uh, and walking in the woods like that. It's a good time to see some parts of the state maybe you haven't seen for a while. And uh, you know, I would I would make sure that uh, you scout the area where you want to hunt and. Get a sense for how many people may be using that area. Get a sense for where the turkeys are at and how they're using it and, and uh, learn the lay of the land. So, But it's really just being out in the early part of the year that I think is the very special part.
0: I think what has happened to Turkey reminds me a lot of eagles in the sense that I remember when we first started to see eagles again. It was a really big oh, yeah. deal to see an eagle. Now you see yeah. them all the time. and In Turkey, it's kind of the same thing. You're seeing them all the time all over the place now. It's great.
1: It is great, you know. Yeah, I've heard several people talk about seeing the eagles. It is just not a, it's not a a common, it's not an uncommon sight anymore. And people just look up, no, it's an eagle. (laughs) It's just, you you take it 20, 30 years ago and it's like, oh man, there's an eagle.
0: We've got a lot more to cover with John Williams, Regional Wildlife Manager out of the Northwest office in Bemidji. Now that all aspects of the deer hunting season are over, we'll recap that and take a look at what's happening with chronic wasting disease. But up next, we're headed north to Lake of the Woods and check in with Beef Sather. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Welcome back to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Checking in with our friend Beef Sather once again, heading up to uh, Lake of the Woods area and seeing what's going on there. And, and Beef, uh, a lot of people know you from your days in the Bemidji area, uh, but for those who, uh, who aren't familiar, um, you've always spent a lot of time up on Lake of the Woods, but these days you're uh, you're living in Heatchit up there. Tell us uh, tell us about it.
2: Yeah, I went from one B-town to another B-town, <laughs> Bemidji to Budette. So yes. It's been, uh, been a good move uh, up here. It's... Uh, I thought I was in God's country down in Bemidji, but now you move up to this place up here, and this is even this is even more of God's country, and uh, it's a it's a great experience. And uh, down there, we had a lot of selection of different lakes to go to and stuff like that. Where up here, it's uh, you got either like the lake or you got like the river, and that's about it. So <laughs> you only have a couple options up here. But a million acre pond is quite a big
0: lake. So <laughs> it's fun. It is definitely a big lake, no question about it. But yet there are people who aren't real familiar with Lake of the Woods and. If you had to give uh, a quick descriptor of Lake of the Woods to somebody who's never even heard of it before, how would you describe that lake?
2: You know, I would use one word, smorgasbord. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why is you can go out on Lake of the Woods and you can run into lake trout, you can run into muskie, you can run into walleye, sauger, perch. Um, crappies, it's crazy what you can find out there. And then the prehistoric dinosaur fish, the sturgeon, I mean, they're all over. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You got to pick your poison when you want to go fish up here. It's sort of like some of the Bemidji lakes too, you know, where, or the Brainerd lakes or wherever you're at. But here the fish are a little bit bigger. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, they they certainly are. And of course, uh, the, you know, for now we can't fish for walleye, but, uh, what are we out fishing for on Lake of the Woods these days?
2: Well the great part about that is up here we're a border water so we can fish for oh. walleye and saugger till the middle of April. Really? So our season wow. is extended up here and then our pike season never closed. Okay. So it's nice to have that opportunity. So we're we're a short drive away from, you know, Grand Rapids, Duluth, Bemidji, all that stuff. So if people are want to catch walleyes or saugers, you know, basically year round, this is the destination to come to in Minnesota. But uh we have a lot of different things going right now. Uh, the pike are starting to move up into the shallow, so the pike fishermen are coming out and uh, running tip-ups and dead baits and everything from three feet of water out to 20 feet. And then uh, the walleyes are starting to get ready for pre-spawn, so they're coming back in and they're staging off the break line, so that's pretty cool to watch that. And uh, and then uh, shortly the rainy river will be open and we'll be chasing walleyes and sturgeon in, in the rainy, so that will be fun.
0: Yeah, one thing that's changed on the rainy, uh, I believe the walleye, uh, the early walleye is all catch and release now. Correct?
2: Correct. Yep, it's yeah. all catch and release, and that's a good thing because a lot of them, a lot of the fish that we were allowed to keep were the spawning males, and then before that, you're allowed to, like I believe one female or something. But it's great to see all the catch and release on the walleyes in the rainy because it's a it's a great fisheries, and we don't want to do any hurt to it during the prime spawn time.
0: Right, and of course, uh, let's talk about uh, uh, sturgeon. That has become so popular up in the Lakewoods area, and at times uh, it is more popular than any other fish.
2: Oh, it's it's one of my favorite. That's one of the reasons why I moved up here is to chase the sturgeon. And uh, um, I'm itching as soon as the swat. I mean, I'm going to be going out tonight, checking in the river, see where it's open and stuff. But uh, as soon as I can get my boat in, I'm going sturgeon fishing. And uh, to hook into one of them prehistoric fish and just see the fight and all the different sizes that we have here. In the, and even when you get a tagged one, it's really cool. You can see how many times it's been caught and stuff like that. So... It's a, it's a neat experience and, uh, it's, uh, definitely should be on everyone's bucket list.
0: Yeah, and it's something you can do, uh, while you're waiting for the walleye season to reopen.
2: Yep, exactly. So when that walleye season shuts down in the middle of April there and stuff, and you have a couple weeks before fishing opener, it's, uh, it turns into a, uh, a destination of, uh, a lot of anglers in northern Minnesota and Minnesota. It's a crazy to see how many boats come out and it's one of the easiest ways to fish. You just throw out some night crawlers and a minnow and, uh, Anchor your boat and have a few pops and uh, just hang out. And it's kind of a neat way to fish for them.
0: So talk a little bit about the season. When is the uh, the actual uh, season for sturgeon?
2: There's a couple different seasons on the sturgeon. I haven't checked the dates yet because sometimes they, they fluctuate. Um, the, the The first season comes in right here. In the, There's a season in the spring where you're allowed to keep it. And there's usually like a four- to five-inch window that you're only allowed to put them in the boats. A lot of people just do catch and release, but if they do keep them, they love it for it's one of the best smoked fish, is what I've been told. But uh, I've never put one in, uh, never cleaned one, or never had to put one in my f- smoker or anything yet. But uh, and then there's the second season in July-ish, I believe, in the fall, going into the fall. There's one, and then um, but year round you can almost catch them year round, but there is a there's a couple periods that they do shut it down, and um, it's it, you can't target them.
0: Okay. But yeah, it is a it's a fun season. It's very, very popular. Like I said, uh, for some some parts of the year it's it's the most popular thing going out there. Um we talk about, you know, a lot of people are just huge into musky fishing. Um sturgeon are bigger than muskies though. It's it's yeah, I mean
2: I, I, I've caught a couple of fish over sixty eight inches. So yeah, I mean it in I've seen seventy ones and seventy two <laughs> inches caught. And then I live, where I live up here in Bedette, I have a spot where I can, in late May here, you can watch them go spawn in the rivers, and you can actually get right next to them a couple feet away and see the true nature of these fish and how big they are. And, I mean, it's just incredible the, the amount of power and, and how strong they are. So it's a it's an awesome experience to see and, and how old they are. I mean, you're talking fish that are over, you know, 80, 90 to 100 years old, <laughs>
0: Right, they live a long time, and uh, biologically, they are one of the oldest creatures uh, that are still alive on this planet.
2: Yeah, they, we call them dinos up here, and it's pretty. And there's a good reason why. You know, these fish are older than I am, and uh, it's uh, it, it's an amazing experience. And what the cool part about it is, too, is you could fish them from Baudet all the way to International Falls, and then there's even people that will go out in the lake just outside of Lighthouse Gap or even Morse, Morse Gap, and they can set up for sturgeon right there too. So these fish are not just in the river. So we've even had reports all the way up north of Garden Island and around the Garden Island area of people catching sturgeon up there by accident while they're walleye fishing. So if somebody ventures up this way and you know, and I highly recommend everyone would this spring, especially because we're going to have an early ice out. It's uh, it'd be an awesome experience for them to target one of these fish one day and put in, and just once they do, it's like musky fish. Once you catch one, you're going to keep coming back. <laughs>
0: So, people who uh, have heard about this and are curious but but really haven't uh, done it before, I mean, what kind of equipment do you need to be able to uh, survive a sturgeon fishing expedition?
2: Well, it, it depends on the current, and so the heavier the current, the heavier the sinker is what we tell people. So, I'll go all the way to a four or five ounce sinker if the current's really really trucking along. If it's not too fast, you can go down to a two ounce sinker. So. What we do, starting with the rod and the reel, we use basically a musky or a heavy action or heavy action rod with a bait cast reel because there is fish that will try to spool your reel. And um, you throw that out and just toss it out. And then behind the uh, sinker, you run about a one-foot fluorocarbon or braided line with a big circle hook. And on that circle hook, it, it gets pretty expensive sometimes because you put three to four big old night crawlers on there. And uh, you just let that sway on the bottom of the river there, and you just start targeting it like you're kind of carp fishing or catfishing-type attitude. And uh, you throw a few minnows on the hook once in a while if you want to add some more flavor. And uh, you just throw it down river and you put your rods in rod holders. And if anyone's ever seen the uh, TV series Wicked Tuna, sometimes it turns into that because when you get your rods in the rod holders and you leave the, the back reel open there and the clicker, sometimes the fish will come in and just take it, and your rod goes, zoom, zoom. it's pretty cool to hear. So... It's a lot of fun, but it's a real simple way to get set up, But I know a lot of the local bait shops and and, and tackle stores have just a simple twenty dollar to forty dollar rod reel set up sometimes for sturgeon it's uh it's you definitely need it, you know and the heavier action the better
0: okay very good um and it is it is so much fun i've i mean I haven't done it I've been told by everybody I know. That's done it. It is a blast. So it's definitely something people. If you're into angling, it's something you need to try at least once.
2: Absolutely, and and it's 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 so much fun. And 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 if it's a cold day, you know, if you have a a boat with a bimini top or a pontoon, you don't need to be out in a. You don't need to be in a boat that's a hundred thousand dollars or these eighty thousand dollar boats. You're not going too far. You just come out in the river. You can launch out of the many different accesses from Pelland all the way down to Timber Mill Park. And uh, you don't have to go too far. You look for some a deep hole or a hole in the river. You get on the upper river side, drop your anchor, toss it out, and then just hang out. And uh, I've seen guys out there in 14-foot, 12-foot boats with, you know, little motors on the back, and they can still catch big fish. So that's what's cool about it.
0: All right. Meanwhile, if we're going to come up there this weekend, uh, where should we go and uh, what should we be doing? Well, this weekend, you know...
2: With this warm weather coming in stuff, a lot of the resorts, and along with myself, we've been out checking ice and everything. And we're going to lose all our snow probably by the weekend, so that should be good. The lake has between 24 and about 31 inches of ice. The resorts are doing a great job checking things out. We haven't seen anything too, too touchy yet. It looks like it's still pretty good with uh, ice conditions. So we should get through the weekend just fine as the warm temps keep going, I see Saturday through Sunday night, it might not hit go below freezing. So we just got to keep watching our accesses and points, but uh, we should have ice for at least a couple more weeks still that we're doing fishing. So if people are wanting to head up, um, depends on what they're going. If they're going after walleyes and sauger, look for anywhere between about 16 feet and 24 feet of water right now. Um, Jigs, minnows, dead sticks, uh, slip bobber type techniques, um, sometimes plain hooks. Last weekend the fish were targeting smaller things, so almost like you're going crappie or perch fishing was actually catching more walleyes. So that was good. And the pike are starting to roam the shallows and getting into that mud and stuff, so if you're gonna come up and try to do some tip up fishing, don't be afraid to get in that two, three, four feet of water. Um we're fishing water right now where there's only about eight inches of open water under the ice before it hits the bottom of the lake. So the fish are definitely putting the feed bag on for northerns.
0: Okay. Very very cool it's such a great lake and there's so many cool things up there uh and we you know we can only touch a, a piece of it as minnesotans you know <laughs> i mean yeah, there's so much of it to the canada east too. that we can't get to
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy i mean i my dock and where i live i have about 30 yards and then i would be in canada so i'm limited to what i can do off of my shoreline even but uh once they open it, I mean, if if now someone's never been up to Lake of the Woods, and when Canada's open, I highly recommend it. I mean, there's, they say there's over 10,000 islands in Lake of the Woods, and you can go all the way to Sioux Lookout to Kenora and farther north, and you can go visit our good friend Gussie, who just won the Bassmaster tournament there. And yep. I mean, it's all connected, so it's absolutely a gorgeous area, and and there's, it, it, it's amazing, and that's what I say, like God's country. That's what I'm talking about. Is
0: you, you can get away and not see another boat. <laughs> Just have GPS with you so you know how to get back. Um, I, I know you're doing a lot of promotional stuff. You still doing some guiding? Yep. I'm uh, I'm actually in that uh, when I left Bemidji, you know, it was great. I was guiding 15, 17
2: years down there and doing a lot of promotional stuff. And up here, I'm waiting to get the captain's license all doing, going so I can be a summer guide. But uh, until then, I could still guide on the winter so people can reach out to me through Fat Guide Service or you could give Cyrus Resort a call, and that's where I do a lot of my stuff out of Cyrus. So it's been great with working with Justin and Tanya and the crew over there.
0: How's the pressure been on the lake this year? Oh, you know, it's a little less than last year because
2: a lot of people in Minnesota had fishable ice this year where, um, but it's it's taken, it's been a lot of people. It's been, we've seen a lot of people come and go, and uh, we're hoping that, uh the fisheries maintains and it sounds like it has the dnr has been working real closely with everybody and uh it sounds like the lake's hand doing really it's really healthy so with the pressure it receives let's hope it keeps going in a good direction
0: yeah i think the last time we talked i mentioned that uh it just gets an unreal amount of pressure but uh, just doesn't seem to be dented or, or bothered by it at all
2: yeah it, it's nuts i mean it, we measure a good day of fishing by how many you catch and you know and we say a good day is anything over thirty to fifty fish, and it, it they may maybe not all keepers, but you catch that many, and that's what's pretty cool about it. And you know, when you get 100 fish a hundred fish day, that's pretty cool.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, Beef, one more time, if people want to get a hold of you and get something set up, how do they do that? They can look me up on the web or on my social media at Fathead
2: Guide Service, and if not, they can even give uh, Cyrus Resort up here a call, and we can. Um, hook them up and uh, even get updates for what's going on so we do a lot of posting on both of those so we'll give river updates as it gets open here too
0: all right good friend of paul bunyan country that's beef Sather talking lake of the woods fishing beef as always thanks for checking in and uh have a great day
2: yeah and thanks kevin i miss everyone back down there in bemidji it's been
0: uh, it's been a while This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Kev Jackson. John Williams is my guest once again. He is the regional wildlife manager out of the Northwest DNR headquarters in Bemidji. And it's time to review the deer season. John, how was the overall deer season as far as uh, harvest and as far as the numbers that are out there?
1: Well, harvest was up almost 7% from last year. Last year's harvest was like 183,000. This year, finally tallied out at about 195,000. So it's actually uh, pretty good. It was uh, getting pretty close to what our target goal for harvest is for the year, which is 200,000. It was what we had put in our deer plan. We had a little bit better opener than what we had last year, or last season, that is. If you might recall, it was doggone cold that, uh, Hmm. that first couple, few days of deer season, and 2019, 2020 wasn't so bad, but the wind blew an awful lot, and uh, I do think that that maybe had an impingement on some of the harvest we had there. We might have gotten a little better than that, but overall, I think we had a, a pretty good season. We're still kind of gathering some statistics about it, but uh it, it looks like it went off pretty well. Um, I guess that there was some surprising things. You know, our firearms deer license sales basically were flat. We didn't necessarily see much of an increase. Uh, didn't see a decrease either. So uh that was a little different than what we had been seeing in some of the other license types like uh turkey season in the spring or or um even the youth season uh we saw an increase in license sales for for some of that as well archery i think as, as well but um firearms were flat and i i i ponder what what that could be is that because you know just the people are going to deer hunt regardless whether they're um uh whether there's a covid crisis or not and so we didn't see any change about that uh, what does that mean so don't know uh, mm-hmm. but anyhow uh, overall i think kevin we had a good deer season um, and the harvest was
2: respectable
0: all right uh last year we talked to uh, I mean it was a couple years ago when we really had a, a a very snowy very cold winter about winter severity when it comes to deer i don't think that's been a big concern this winter it's certainly
1: not. <laughs> I mean I don't think Bemidji, I don't think Bemidji ever got much above 10 inches, and I don't think my yard ever got any, any higher than about six. Um, and you know, if you look at the uh, WSI index and you go on the web and, and DNR website and take a look at it, the entire state, including the Arrowhead, is less than 50 points as of February 24th. And I don't ever remember I guess I don't ever remember something similar to that in, in years past. Um, Just maybe to remind the audience here, uh, how does one tally the points for a winter? Anytime the snow is deeper than 15 inches, you would add a point for that day. Anytime the uh, temperature drops below zero, you would add a point for that day. So the maximum you can get any day is two. And then, of course, as each day accumulates, you know, you you look at what the – it's just a a measure of the severity of the winter. Our current rating system goes from zero to 50 is is, uh, mild. Uh, 50 to 120 is moderate, and anything above 120 is severe. But to say that the entire state is under 50 you know, mm. in the mild category, at least through, like I say, the 24th of February, I just don't remember it ever being quite that uh, quite that mild in terms of that. Um, and we certainly just haven't had the snow. I was down in um, the Marshall-Minneota country over the weekend, and uh, they did have snow. <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, morning, but uh, driving down there Friday, um, they got their fields are black. They were opening up, and uh, uh, many places around here, you know, where it's wind blowing, you can still see the clouds in the snow. So, mild winter altogether.
0: Why is uh, snow depth an issue?
1: The two factors, snow depth and, and temperature, are, are things that are stressors for deer. Of the two, snow depth is, in my opinion, uh, the more significant of the factors. You know, when we had that two weeks of uh, below-zero weather, we, you know, kind of just came through. Uh, I don't think that really bothered deer all, all, all that much at all. Um, naturally, just like anything else, it probably uh, caused them to shiver a little bit more. But if they had good cover, uh, that wouldn't have been a problem for them. On the other hand, when you have snow that's, let's say, 15 inches or more, and I would say it really gets kind of serious once you get up into that 18-plus plus, uh, inches, it gets to the point where walking around in that snow, it, you exert a lot of energy, and, of course, that draws on your fat reserves, which you need if you're a deer to get through the winter in good health. And um, deer kind of have a way of uh, coping with that to a degree. If it gets that deep, they go into yarding areas. And in the yarding areas, they uh, can make paths uh, through the snow, just like what we would do, and uh, it makes it easier for them to get around. But it it links them to that area. So the area where the yards at needs to be one with uh, abundant food resources again for deer to get through the winter just fine so snow is a snow's a big deal, and um, i I guess I haven't seen uh, the total snowfall for, for the state this year I just the, the places I'm familiar with we just haven't gotten anything hardly above uh, anything that would add a point for snow depth.
0: so the deer should be get, coming through winter without a problem and and the numbers are satisfactory as far as you're concerned?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think we're going to be in good shape for this. Those carrying fawns right now, they should be in very good health. Uh, I think that um, from everything I've seen, this is going to be a, a, a very mild winter altogether. You, you never can say never, although we're getting closer to that point. now. The The reason that really gives me pause is 2014, as you know, um, it was about the middle of March, things began to unfall. deer were out in the fields uh, like they would normally be once, thaw, once the uh, spring begins to break, and then we had a whole other month of basically bad winter weather. And, you know, uh, I can't predict the future for what we're going to have uh, in terms of that, but it looks like if things continue with the trend that we're at, we're going to see uh, uh, probably an early thaw, um, Green-up will be earlier. Deer will be able to browse on on green plants right now. I think they're doing well on browse, and uh, those in the agricultural area can easily access some of the waste grain in the fields. I I do know we have had some difficulties with deer grazing on alfalfa in in some spots. It's very accessible for them, and if the uh, snow didn't catch very well, there could be problems with that as well. But uh, in general, Kevin, I think we're looking at a good good season to get... um, deer through the winter at in good shape.
0: One of the things uh, everybody who's involved in wildlife and deer around the state have been uh, keeping an eye on is chronic wasting disease, which uh, can, kind of came up through the southeast part of the state, and and uh, I know we've, we've seen it get a little more centralized. Where is chronic wasting disease right now?
1: CWD or chronic wasting disease, um, we had a total of 19 19- Deer that were tested positive out of about 7,000 tests that we saw during the firearms, archery firearms, and muscle loader seasons. Uh, 16 of those deers were in the southeast area where we typically have been fighting, you know, that disease over time now. And three of them were in the south metro area, uh, which is an area that we picked up one that was... uh, uh, know if it was a roadkill or if it died on its own we found the carcass and tested it Uh, that gave us a clue that maybe we've got a problem in that area so we really focused on that area to see what what there may have been we found two additional ones so that's kind of unwelcome news for that area the other areas within the state the west central uh, which is in that uh, Alexandria Glenwood Douglas County area there I think they tested um two or three hundred deer in one of the DPAs and another uh, set was uh, I don't recall the exact number but we found zero there we'll still be having uh, testing for two more years there and permit area 604 which is that area uh, north of Brainerd just a little ways Mm -hmm. I think 900 deer were tested no no uh, positives there so that's a very good thing we'll have another year testing out that we did have one in the east central area that we felt like we didn't quite get as many deer what we really would like to do to, to have a valid test to say that we've really uh, sampled that population well so we're going to have to do something a little bit different up there to try to figure out how to get more samples and you may recall that this year uh, it was all voluntary because we weren't going to concentrate hunters and staff together uh, for the concerns around covid so um, we're working on those things but uh, chronic wasting disease altogether, I think we had, in addition to the 19 deer I mentioned, there were four additional deer that we call opportunistically sampled. So if we find a, a, a roadkill deer within one of the surveillance areas or somebody calls and say, hey, I've got a deer acting kind of odd out here, uh, we do go collect it and test it. There were four additional deer taken taking that way. So altogether, um, I think we were looking at 23 deer we found so far uh, since the fall firearm season.
0: Would we consider that a good news scenario or not? I mean, obviously zero is the best news. I was gonna say that's that's <laughs> the
1: good news. Uh, the problem with chronic wasting disease is it's never it's never been shown to be eradicated once it once it's in uh, in an area. Mm-hmm. And you know, as bad as you hate to say it, um, I I don't know if we have a, a hope of actually eradicating the disease here. Our plan right now is to hit it as hard as we can, so it first does not spread, and second, we minimize the ability for the disease to uh, to, to be spread deer to deer. And so, um, you know, that's some of the efforts that we're trying to do, you know, with the surveillance and, and, and uh, then the actual testing. Good news, you know, um, 23 deer, I uh, it doesn't feel real good to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the, the, I guess the thing that really concerns me right now is we still – uh, our finding served farms that um, do have positive deer. I think we had another one just um, within the last couple of weeks that showed that it had an additional nine positives that showed up in it. With the South Metro now showing that uh, there's deer, these are wild deer now that, that we're testing, of course. Um, with that being there, I think we must have some indication that we have additional needs of just watching that and seeing if it's more prevalent uh, in, in future years. We still have the areas like the west central and the east central and, and the, uh, let's say, the Brainerd or the 604 area that we are surveilling just because there was a positive uh, CW positive, form in that area and we want to make sure it didn't jump into the wild population. So I'm hoping those things remain zero forever. Um, the places where we have seen it, it appears that it's still there, and that's, I guess, not too surprised, but I think mm-hmm. when you look at the number of deer we've tested, 7,000-something, and to have 23 deer uh, show up, um, we're doing okay. I think that's the best I can say right now. Um, I just would hate to see it just get to a point where it, it gets out of control.
0: Is there anything I or any of us can do?
1: Well, you know, follow the rules. Um, in the areas where we have it, we have feeding bands, so we're not concentrating deer, um, if you're hunting in one of those areas where we're testing deer, have your deer come in and get it tested. Um, you know, if it's in one of the areas where we're actually trying to work with you, it's a free test, and, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that if uh, I was hunting in an area like that, I I would want to make sure that the deer I shot and would, would ultimately uh, have dinner over uh, was certified that it didn't have the disease. That's just reasonable. But I would say if you can help us with uh, uh alerting us that there's a sick deer around. If uh, you're hunting in an area where we know it's been being there, or we're testing for it, please bring your deer in. Um, I don't know what we're going to look at for uh, next year, uh, next season, you know, if we're still going to be under COVID restrictions, uh, uh, whether we're going to have a voluntary or whether it be mandatory to bring a deer in. I don't know yet. But um, uh, we are working on ways that kind of minimize uh, staff time, and uh, enable the hunter to have a fairly easy way to submit a sample. So just pay attention to the to the rules, I guess. And I would say occasionally uh, go to the DNR website. Check it out for what, what's happening in that uh, those areas. See if the area where you're hunting is uh, anywhere near those things. Um, it's a good place to go look if you just want to find out what the statistics are for your area, whatever DPA you're hunting or deer permit area you're hunting. You know, how many deer were taken there, If, if how many bucks, how many does, uh, these type of things. So there's a lot of good statistics. There's a write-up by the area supervisors out there that talk a little bit about the DPA and what one could expect when they get there. Talks about the public land in it, and, and uh, you might want to just go on there just, just while you're turkey hunting to find out a little bit more about the area. That's another good way to go on the website and go on the WMA Finder and uh,
0: see what's in your area.
1: So it's a lot of opportunities there.
0: Okay. Uh, John, before we wrap it up, let's get back to the uh, turkey season again. It's upcoming, and uh, we probably should get working on it now, if especially if we want to get one of those early licenses. License went on sale, I think, March
1: 1st, and I certainly there's, uh, there's no limit to them, so I would, I would definitely get your license before the season starts. Uh, know which season you're going to watch. You know, um, April, The first season in April is always uh, a little risk for weather concerns. But you're also the first people that have a, a chance at the, uh, at the at the birds and turkeys. Like any other species that uh, hunt, gets hunted. Uh, after a while, they get smart. So um, uh, you have uh, uneducated birds in in uh, the early part of April, and by May, you've got PhD turkeys out there that uh, <laughs> they know they know how they know what a call sounds like, and they know they know how to get rid of it too. So.
0: All right, well, yeah, and if people are going on ice fishing, they got to go get a new license now anyway. Might as well get your, your turkey license while you're at it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd, you know, this is a good time of year when you get your license. Uh, if you want to get a full full suite of license, you know, for small game and, and uh, waterfowl hunting, make sure you get your HIP certification and um, all that type of stuff. So just check it out. Uh, certainly if you're going fishing, you, you need to stop by uh, one of the agents to get a license for sure. But, um, yeah, good time to really think. Think through the season, and uh, not too early to be looking around for turkeys. And uh, if you're new to the sport, check out that uh, videos we have on the web for that. Talk to some people that hunt in your area, and uh, uh, if you're a little bit older turkey, maybe you'd want to take uh, a youngster along and mentor that person in hunting. It's a, it's really a season I think that you can. It's suited to, uh, to getting our youth involved in. Well, uh, what's better to be out in the woods with a youngster that uh, really would like to know what you're what's out there to see
0: and do. Absolutely. John Williams is the Regional Wildlife Manager out of the Northwest Regional Office here in Bemidji, talking turkey, literally, uh, and deer as well. John, always great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time today.
1: Uh, Thanks for uh, having us on, Kevin.
0: This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. We'll find out more about the great outdoors in Paul Bunyan Country next week. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us.